Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 4, Episode 9, Fall. The original air date for this episode was November 30th, 2014. It was written by Jane Espenson and directed by a returning friend of the show, Mario Van Peebles. The title card is A Shipwreck and a Message in a Bottle. We begin in Storybrooke. As Ingrid smugly watches the shattered sight spell begin to cast, forming dark foreboding clouds in the sky, a seemingly humbled gold congratulates her and wishes to make a deal. As the shattered sight spell is destined to bring out the worst in everyone and ultimately destroy themselves, gold wishes to leave Storybrooke with Belle and Henry. Because now he actually cares about Henry, I guess. You know, he was just trying to kill him not that long ago, but who's even keeping score these days? I was really surprised that Gold actually bargained for Henry's safety. Me too. Like, I, I, I guess this rumble grew just a little bit. Not much, because he is damning everyone else. But I guess at least he finally has learned to care and accept our perfect young lad, Henry. So maybe that apprenticeship did well to endear Henry to Mr. Gold. Henry's inability to sweep a floor really endeared him to him. <laughs> <laughs> So long as Ingrid allows his family to leave town, he will refrain from spending the rest of his immortal life trying to kill her. Ingrid is more than happy to strike that deal. In the clock tower, our heroes Elsa, Hook, Emma, Henry, Leroy, and the Charmings are strategizing on what to do. David proposes to open the mines and vaults to take shelter, but Regina rebuffs this idea as magic does not care about ceilings. She accurately surmises that by sundown, the spell will have had its hold over everyone in town. To which Emma replies, then let's not be in town. This whole thing just sounds like Once Upon a Time does The Purge. The Purge by Disney. <laughs> <gasps> Did you just discover the secret that The Purge has been a very weird Snow Queen adaptation all along? It does sound like The Purge. Secret. I mean, I've, I've <laughs> seen The Purge and that makes about as much sense as any explanation for it, honestly. <laughs> They make their way to the ice wall, where Emma and David are all for brute force. But when David attempts to scale the ice, it rumbles angrily and begins to shift. Honestly, this was a decent plan the heroes came up with. It's just too bad that magic thwarted them again. I just love how much Emma and David are like, Fuck that ice mountain! I will scale it and smash it! <laughs> I mean, like, they kind of share one brain cell between the two of them. <laughs> it was they're, they're orange cats! Trying. It was mm -hmm. so worth trying. They are orange cats. They're orange cats, and they're like, Mom said it's my turn to have the family brain cell. <laughs> <laughs> a crack in the ice reveals Anna's missing snowflake necklace, much to Elsa's joy. She believes it is a sign that they will win, which causes Regina hysterically to mumble, Is everyone into this hope thing now? I love Regina so much. She has some really good one-liners and, like, looks this episode. Mm -hmm. She's kind of the straight man of the episode, honestly. She is. And that happens every so often. And when it does, it's just chef's kiss. It's just mm -hmm. it's, so it's good. very good. It's like everything's going on around her. And she's like doing like the gym from the office. Look into this camera thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's episode. very much the Groucho Marx. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just like, what the fuck? Are you seeing this shit? Are you seeing this shit? They're like, oh, now that she doesn't have to be like evilly flouncing everywhere. We can make her the snarky, funny one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have to like gesture wildly and be like, look what Robert Carlyle could have. If only you would give him some decent fucking food. He could have had a fun redemption, Mark. Mark. He could have had a fun redemption plot, but no, no redemption. Mark, is he a nice guy? <laughs> He's a nice guy. I He's... like redemption, Mark. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a, He's a he kind was man the... in a sweater who just comes to your house and is like, hey. <laughs> I know hey. it's been rough lately. Let's talk about how we can make this better. It's Mark He's with a the C. the therapist that <laughs> Regina hired because she was like, Archie got his PhD in a curse. I am not trusting Archie. <laughs> I don't I don't trust the cricket. I'm going to hire someone who actually went to school and is a person. <laughs> is a person. I'm going I'm I'm to hire Redemption Mark. <laughs> like I said, Mark with a C. Softer mm -hmm. Mark. A softer Mark. <laughs> anyway. Emma takes charge, delegating that her parents, along with Grumpy, go and tell the rest of the town what's going on, specifically to separate from their loved ones. 
Killian is charged with acquiring boats to get people out. Regina decides to warn Robin, while Emma tasks herself and Elsa to see gold for ideas. Against Regina's protests, Emma wishes for Henry to come with her, as she and Elsa believe they are immune to the curse. Henry goes with Regina, insisting he will be fine. We join Elsa and Emma at the pawn shop, where Belle is going over books of possible deterrence to the curse, only to come up empty-handed. However, she finds a vaccine-like counterspell, which uses hair from the curse. Elsa realizes that Anna must have been under the spell of Shattered Sight, and would be the perfect patient zero to use to begin the counterspell. Now that she has Anna's snowflake necklace back, Belle can use a locator spell on it to determine where Anna is. Belle is going to round up the fairies and start to begin work on the counterspell. In Arendelle of the Past, the ice recedes from the kingdom, freeing Anna and Kristoff as they scramble to figure out what happened with the urn containing Elsa and Ingrid. Anna notices a scattering of straw on the ground. She cleverly deduces that Rumpelstiltskin has the urn, as he would never allow someone to walk off with something he valued. She believes they can get the urn back so that they may restore Elsa to her rightful place as Queen of Arendelle. Just then, Hans and a handful of his brothers storm in. Pause for effect, because... Because <laughs> what the fuck? What? Because okay. please imagine I am... I, me, narrator Lynn, am staring directly into the camera like Jim from The Office. <laughs> and accuse Anna of attacking Elsa and Elsa of attacking them. A skirmish ensues, but the bumbling brothers are easily outwitted. Okay, so here is what I'm confused about, or at least one of the things I'm confused about. Why is Hans just able to freely walk around Arendelle? At the mm-hmm. end of Frozen, he was literally exiled for treason. Like, he cannot set foot in Arendelle again. He was extradited back to the Southern Isles, basically as a war criminal. Why don't the writers know or care about the canon of the source material that they are pulling from? I assumed his kingdom exploited Arendelle being frozen, but, like, Hans himself should have been unfrozen the same time as Anna and Kristoff, because he was in there. So Hans shouldn't have been able to one-up them right away. He should be just as groggy and disoriented as the other two. So they really should have saved this Hans and family sneak attack. If there was going to happen, it should just be the one that, spoiler alert, happens on Blackbeard's ship later in neutral territory. Because mm-hmm. Hans was literally frozen and in a wardrobe with Ingrid's other serial killer trophies when the big freeze <laughs> <Yeah>. happened. <laughs> he was in her serial killer trophy dungeon. Yes, he was. How? I don't do not understand. Like, I don't like, know. How are the brothers not aged? How are the brothers not yeah, aged? Because the brothers were frozen. Make any sense? I know it's a Disney movie, so they wouldn't go that far. But basically, if Hans enters Arendelle again, he'd be probably shot on sight. Yeah, he would be. He's he's a treasonous war criminal. He is an enemy of the crown. So him just coming in and be like, "I have this authority to do this," I'm like, "You don't have shit, pal. You are no. a war criminal." Like, he could have an upper hand for, like, a moment while other people are still getting defrosted, but otherwise, like, those guards are going to turn on him. Yeah, Yeah. like, this idiot waltzes into Arendelle and is like, I'm going to be the king now because I heard you go blah, 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 blah. If you try and pull that, the people of Arendelle are going to be like, hey, that's the motherfucker that tried to kill our queen. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even if we're disregarding the canon that only exists in other media... Like, he was frozen in the serial killer cabinet. Yeah, there was no time so to plan this. What? Yeah, what Where did his brothers come from? How are the brothers not aged? Like, the whole, we stole your treasury and have our brother back nonsense would make sense if the Southern Isle wasn't frozen. But it was also not the Enchanted Forest, which would mean that the brothers would have aged. They'd be old. Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically, if you had aged them, it would make sense because they could have bought out Hans, like, brought him back. Maybe they're, <gasps> Maybe they're his nephews. Maybe they're his nephews now. And and then they like, and over time, they stole the money from Arendelle while everyone else was frozen. But the way this is presented, well, everyone was frozen. To assume loophole. that like, and I know we're giving way more thought and care to this, I'm sure that the writers did. But are we supposed to assume that like, he had already like snuck the brothers in and they were just somewhere in Arendelle when the freeze hit and Which that's make sense. why they mm-hmm. managed to already be here and or not maybe, be older oh, maybe Ingrid had frozen them all because they attacked her and kept them in other serial killer cabinets that's the only explanation that works honestly that's yeah I feel like that's the only thing that approaches making sense is that she also had them in serial killer cabinets like she had Hans so they just all woke up in there and maybe they woke up just happened to thaw like 
30 minutes before Anna and Kristoff did and they had the upper hand. I'm going to go with that. So I like can the like the palace unfroze in levels. So the serial yeah. killer basement was the first place to come alive. Exactly. Oh, or God. No, maybe, maybe the serial <laughs> the... killer tower. Cause yeah. Cause it was rises. It? Yeah. Okay. Oh, there we okay. go. That was the there warmest spot in the, in the castle. castle. You know, what? Okay. I'm, just, I'm accepting it. So Ingrid froze the brothers and they thawed a little bit quicker because they were higher up and heat rises. And so that's how they were able to get the jump. But honestly, once those lower level guards unfreeze, those dudes would have been in trouble. Yeah, because I'm back yeah. to like, this isn't going to fly. You've already tried. It's not mutiny if you're on a ship. What is? No, a what coup. Is it it's a coup. I guess so. I'm like, I feel like there's a specific word when it's like overthrowing a kingdom, but I can't think of it right now because I'm very tired. I think that's a coup. But it's like, coup, yeah. he's he's tried this shit once already. The people of Arendale aren't going to be like, oh they yeah, know. you're right. They're like, no, we remember you, fucker. Your your posters everywhere. Yeah. This doesn't take place that long after the events of Frozen One. They're like, you tried to kill Elsa on Tuesday, you stupid bitch. Do you think we forget <laughs> things? I think if Pons and his brothers hadn't followed Anna and Kristoff as they fleed, like, eventually the guards would have unfroze and they would have kicked Hans in everyone's asses. Oh, but. yeah. They're like, you must think we're so stupid. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think we... I mean, oh, look at story that You, they t- you think, two fixed it. We fixed it. We fixed, you fixed it. it. We did our best. We did our best. We fixed it. We fixed You're it welcome. with like gum and rubber bands. <laughs> we MacGyvered it. There you yeah, go. Yeah, like it's like it won't last long, but it'll last long enough it'll to get do. us across the bridge and then it'll disintegrate basically. In present day Storybrooke, Hook is at the docks looking out as an ice wall juts out from the waves, expelling any hope of escaping by sea. Gold is there with him and charges Killian with the task to use the magic hat box. Ugh. <laughs> Again. Not on Emma this time, but the fairies that will be gathered at Granny's Diner. The power should be enough to cleave Gold from the Dark One Dagger. Killian is appalled that Gold intends to take Belle and Henry only, and not wait until the fairies have procured the counterspell, thus leaving the townsfolk to their awful fate. It's so clear in this scene that Killian actually cares about Storybrooke and the people who live there. And I was both proud of him and sad for him in this moment. Like, he's found this kindness and and heroics inside him and he's being controlled not to act on it and you can tell like it's tearing him apart and even see this like twinkle of hope in Killian that he is hoping that gold will come to his senses and stop sabotaging you know the hero's plan to save the day and it's just dashed in the woods Robin and his merry men are having a real kumbaya moment before Regina lets them know about the incoming spell Robin shouts for Will Scarlet, who is literally four feet away, and tells his friend there is no need to yell. Robin, missing the humor as usual, orders him to break camp. Stop bossing our little meow meow around, Robin. You break camp. I'm glad Roland has Will now to be one of his many uncles taking care of him, because you can see Roland like go with Will together in the background. And I was like, aw, Will's looking out for Roland, which is good. Because Robin doesn't seem to be doing it this season. Oh my god. And like, I don't know if you even heard the lines, but like, he was showing him an arrow and he's like, what's this? And I'm like, a- if an you're, arrow. I'm yeah, like, if your no, <laughs> five-year-old son does not know what an arrow is, Robin, I don't know what to tell you. Also, what? it'd be one thing if he was actually explaining the parts of the arrow, which it seemed like they almost wanted to get to, but like, they did it so dumbly. The scene is... Robin's like, do you know what this is? And Roland says an arrow. And he goes, that's right. Do you know what this is? And points to another part of the arrow. And I'm like, the main part of the arrow is not just called the arrow if you're trying to. Right. Christ. I'm trying to be like, that's the fletching. Christ. That's the shaft. Yeah, really. yeah. But no, he's just like, you know what this part is? The arrow. Do you know what this part is? And it's like, if we're going by that, then the answer is still the arrow. Henry goes to assist Will so Regina can try to have a nice moment with Robin. Only he is a total turd, ruining her attempt to be sweet when she says, I want to memorize this look on you, except this absolute waste of space, answers with a rude, what, nervous and alone? Regina corrects him, saying, no, with love in your eyes. Regina, why are you wasting time on this fucking idiot? I don't know. This scene is gross, and I didn't like it. They were cute last season. It's just this season made them so messy, specifically made him so messy. Outside of the pawn shop, Emma and Elsa apply the locator spell to Anna's necklace. It leads them directly to Storybrooke Public Library. In the past, Kristoff and Anna are running through the forest at night, 
but take a breather to discuss their plan of action. I just have to take a moment to say how much I really enjoy these two as Anna and Kristoff. I think they play off each other very well and are just very cute together. Mm -hmm. Anna recalls a device in her mother's journal, a wishing star. Anna does not know exactly what it is, but she wants to use it to wish Elsa back to them. The last known whereabouts of the wishing star reside with a pirate named Blackbeard. And not the fun Blackbeard, the boring one from this show. So, you know, prepare for disappointment. <gasps> Our flagging death comes back so soon, though. Yeah, buddy, Thursday. Uh, by the time you listeners are listening to this, it will be back. We will have watched the first episode we will have by watched the time the first this episode. Mm-hmm. Kristoff does not like having to choose between an evil wizard and a pirate. But Anna reminds him that among all the things they are rich in, riches are the most richest. Anna then <laughs> declares, so let's take the power of the treasury and go buy ourselves a wishing thing. <laughs> I do very much like Anna just going, yeah, fuck this, we're rich. Yeah. <laughs> it's a baller move and I love it. I love these two rays of sunshine. Like, they are smart, but they are airheads. And I would not have it any other way. Like, they're clever enough to formulate any number of harebrained schemes to get Elsa back, but they know only Elsa can save the kingdom. It's such a great scene between the two of them. I loved the part earlier when Anna was like, but pirates are better than wizards. And I'm like, yeah, because he's like, <laughs> okay, my, my choices are evil wizard or pirates. <laughs> I didn't say he was evil, but yeah, he's totally evil. <laughs> oh, so good. Back in Storybrooke, Elsa and Emma are traversing the tunnels beneath the library where the locator spell leads them to a barrier boulders caused by a recent cave-in. Elsa is convinced Anna is on the other side, but Emma does not want to risk more wreckage from seismic activity. Returning to the past, Anna and Kristoff have arrived somewhere in the Enchanted Forest and immediately come across Discount Blackbeard. And God, this absolute spirit Halloween clown. What were we even thinking with this nonsense Halloween costume in a bag and wig? It's so bad. Yeah, it's, it's, not it's a good so bad. It's like they were like, oh shit, we have to film a pirate scene tomorrow. Run out to Spirit and get the first one you find. Eduardo has no time. He's too busy working on, on He's the too busy sewing 20 million feathers gowns. onto a fucking gown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go back and see if this is the same fucking outfit. I'm sure it is. Oh, the outfit from the Jolly Roger? Yeah. It might be the same Halloween costume in a bag that they already had from the last time that they went, oh, shoot, we need to shoot pirates tomorrow. And we didn't have a costume because Eduardo has been gluing feathers onto a dress since 4 a.m. No idea if it's the same costume or if it's a new bad costume. I don't know what if that is the case. What happened to the old costume? I don't know if he pulled a thing our friend Jen does and stress tested the pants by squatting violently and ripped the ass out. <laughs> and therefore they had to get an emergency costume. Uh, it's, still, it's still like a red thing, but it was. It looked it, better then, right? It did because you know why? Because it was nighttime. Mm. Oh, it's, night is a lot more forgiving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was also CGI background night. Yeah, you did not see that in the harsh light of day. This is bad. I mean, I know we still like ragged on him for being discount Blackbeard. But I think we didn't realize just how how, how Dollar Tree Blackbeard he was yeah. when we didn't have natural lighting on him. Yeah. Random detail that I actually noticed in the scene on Anna's costume is on her bodice, the details that are typically green on that specific Anna costume were actually gold. They use a gold version when they're doing green screen CGI scenes. Oh, clever. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, they replaced the green details with gold on her bodice, the embroidery on it. I thought that was interesting. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the leaf swirls, you know, in the floral design mm -hmm. um, are typically green. And in scenes where there's a CGI background, if you look, it is done with gold embroidery. It was clearly designed that way to work with the technology. Hmm. Anna and Kristoff offered to purchase the wishing star, and all seems to be going swimmingly until Hans and his brothers appear on deck, <laughs> revealing they had arrived earlier. See, if they wanted to use Hans, this is where the only time they should have had his surprise appearance is this scene. Yeah. If they wanted to use him, I think it would have been better. <sighs> In present day Storybrooke. Leroy examines a map of the tunnels and confirms he and the other dwarves can blow a hole through the barrier. Good job, Leroy. <laughs> Regina makes a snide comment about Mary Margaret becoming lax with keeping the infrastructure up to code, 
but the other woman is quick to point out that it is easy enough to stay on top of these issues when balancing only one villain, who is Regina herself. Touche. Regina does this best haunted, like, 30-yard stare of, <laughs> damn, she's right, after Mary Margaret's comment. And it was the perfect cherry on top of the scene. It, it was so well done by Lana. I, I loved it. I, honest It God, was really think, good. It was so good. <laughs> the look that just said, I just got roasted by Snow White. And she's right. She's right. I can't, I can't say anything. Ah. <laughs> the nicest princess ever. My just stepdaughter. read me my... for goddamn filth. <laughs> it's so good. She's like conflicted. Should I be insulted? She's a little proud. Should I be proud? She's a proud. Yeah. I think she's proud. I think throughout this episode, honestly, she kind of has like an, oh shit, I'm a little bit proud of you moments with Snow. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. As Snow is like, I gotta be a hard ass and make like the big bad decisions throughout this episode. Like mm -hmm. Regina kind of has like, like an, oh shit, respect. Mm -hmm. Another quandary presents itself as Belle has called to say that to create the counterspell, Anna is not needed, but her necklace is. The process is longer and will destroy the necklace, so they must choose between taking the time to find Anna or preparing the counterspell. There is no time for both. Elsewhere, Killian and Gold arrive at the diner, where Hook is instructed to go around the back while Gold goes inside to try and lure Belle out. The fairies are annoyed by his presence, much like me, <laughs> insisting that Belle needs to stay and help. Gold decides to stay and keep his wife company to absolute no one's pleasure. Much to the chagrin of the Blue Fairy and, you know, as mentioned, everybody else. For real, though, when even your wife is like, why the hell are you here? Go away. That should probably be some kind of sign. <laughs> Truthfully, I did expect him to just, like, annoy the shit out of them and just be as annoying as possible until, like, Belle just gave up. And to the credit of Jane Espison, she does not have him do that. I mean, to his credit, he does just kind of sit in a corner and occasionally just... make, like, an, oh, I wouldn't do that kind of a face. But, like, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, just remains quiet. But, like, literally even Belle is like, no, go home. And he's go like, why don't you make me? I'm going to sit here. It's like, oh my god, okay, what are you, 11? <laughs> I'm Chell, and I've been leaving my window open since I was 11 years old in the hopes I would be given the dark gift. You can find me blasting the bodacious soundtrack to The Lost Boys and laughing at memes taking a bite out of the Vampire Chronicles. I'm Tori, and I've been hoping to run into a vampire since I was 12. But like, one I can befriend, not one who will kill me. You can find me reading almost any book with a vampire in it and being angry about the final seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Vampires have ruined our lives. That's why we're making a podcast about it. Our podcast discusses vampire books, movies, TV shows, tropes, folklore, and more. If it's about the fanged undead, we want to talk about it. So tune in to Vampires Ruin My Life, available wherever you find podcasts. Meanwhile, at the library, Regina is serving up some piping hot tough love to the Charming family, insisting that one person is not worth risking the insured safety of the entire town. Our heroes agree, and Emma goes to quietly talk to Elsa. She returns with a pouch we the audience know definitely does not contain the real necklace, as Elsa quickly slips into the elevator to send back into the tunnels. The heroes deliver the pouch to Belle at the diner, only to find pebbles in place of the necklace. During the shooting of this episode, the director Mario Van Peebles was the one who suggested that some pebbles were used in the scene and then nicknamed himself Mario Van Pebbles, which really made me chuckle. I have affection for this man based on his name alone. I'm just putting mm -hmm. that out there. Yeah. Peebles. I was, there's no reason for me to, but I was delighted when it was like, oh, this is a Van Peebles episode. <laughs> That's why yeah. he had to get a little friend of the show shout out. He brings some fun energy. He tries different things with them. That's, yeah, um, that's kind of what I like. He tries. Like, he, he does try. try. Mm -hmm. As this process was to take longer, there is no chance for retrieving the necklace in time to make the counterspell before the shouted sight hits them. Regina dryly asks if someone has a hope speech about the virtues of blind faith. But instead, Mary Margaret has a come-to-Jesus moment. 
realizing that Elsa's blind faith is actually screwing them over. Regina is thoroughly terrified. <laughs> Emma returns to the library to help Elsa find Anna, but the barrier Elsa blasts through leads them out to the beach. Confused, the women stumble along the shore, unsure where the necklace is leading them. Elsa is brokenhearted, and Emma attempts to gently explain that 30 years is a long time, and perhaps the magic is a little bit fucky. In the Enchanted Forest of the Past, Anna valiantly attempts to continue her deal with Swap Meat knockoff Blackbeard, only for the captain to reveal he actually sold the Wishing Star to Anna's parents. He just failed to tell them that only those with pure hearts can utilize its powers. Damn, respect for the burn of him just clearly stating that Elsa and Anna's parents clearly didn't have pure hearts. Yeah, it was subtle, but I liked that he was like, it obviously didn't work for them because they suck. Yeah. <laughs> and I was I like, you know what? <laughs> Good job, Dime Store Blackbeard. I'll give you this one. Hans confesses that him and his brothers have stolen Arendelle's treasury and that Anna and Kristoff are to be killed. Which is also dumb because Hans' brothers hate him and wouldn't help him get a bag of chips off a shelf if his life depended on it. Everything about Hans being here is stupid, but having the dummies he's with be his brothers and not a couple of hired goons is extra dumb. He talks about how much they don't give a shit about him in the movie. He has a whole song about it in the Broadway version. When he's extradited at the end of Frozen, the joke is literally that whatever torture his brothers can think up is probably worse than what they can do here in Arendelle. I ask again why you don't care at all about your own lore. It infuriates me to no end. At least rewatch the movie as a refresher before you lean into making it one of your major plot points for the season. Yeah, I thought bringing them back was pretty superfluous. It's like once upon a time knew their Blackbeard is so lame. They had to add five more lamos to justify tossing Anna and Kristoff in a trunk and chucking them into the sea. Which like they didn't. It could have just been like him be like, ha pirate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. told you I have the thing. I don't. But now I have all your money and I'm going to throw you overboard. Like, just do that. Yeah, they totally should just do that. I would have didn't need Hans. They didn't need Hans at all. They really didn't. They didn't yeah. need him. It would have been like Blackbeard has a thing and Blackbeard would have been like, I'm a pirate and therefore duplicitous. I have fucked you over. Into the ocean you go. It's what we do. We're pirates. Just right. have it be that. Yeah. Bingo, bango. It's all you need. They sail out to a spot of ocean called Poseidon's Boneyard, where the ship that sank Gerda and her husband is laid to rest at the bottom. Dollar Store Blackbeard brings forth a large trunk for Anna and Kristoff to be trapped within so that the outside interference, such as mermaids, do not rescue the pair. Bro, a mermaid's tail is pure muscle, and they use sharp-ass tools down there. Do you really think a mermaid couldn't open a freaking trunk? I'm just saying. Maybe they <laughs> think a mermaid wouldn't just see a trunk falling and go, oh, that's a person that needs my I help. Need They'd just it? be yeah. like, ah, oh, they're no. fucking littering again. No, no. I mean, I would think that like their instinct would be, ooh, I'm going to open this and see what treasures are inside. I think just if it's Ariel. So I think it's the whole like Ariel's so weird, she's curious. Oh. And Ariel is busy at this point. So literally, unless you yeah, have Ariel, they're fucked. Yeah. She's been <laughs> unless you got Ariel. Man. Every mm -hmm. other mermaid's going to be like, I wish they'd stop littering and move on with their life. <laughs> Man, you're fucking up my ocean. God damn it. This scene in the live action Little Mermaid. Where yeah, where it's just Ariel's sister just being like, fucking humans, all they do is litter. They throw trash down here. God damn it. These poor coral reefs. As Anna and Kristoff are laid into the trunk, Hans reveals that it has been 30 years since Arendelle was frozen, which also, why would he know that? He woke up at the same time as them. <laughs> Who told him it's been 30 years? Black He's been Beard? frozen in Arendelle <laughs> with everyone else. And you figure everyone else in Arendelle probably had the same thing where they got unfrozen and just was like, weird, what happened? I think Blackbeard. It's like, did someone catapult a calendar over the wall of Arendelle? And when they came yes. to, they were like, oh, it's been 30 long years what we've been frozen. That's Thank exactly you, neighboring kingdoms trebuchet for letting us know <laughs> the date. <laughs> Maybe Hans is really into trees and he oh, was God. just like, oh, look, these trees, no. they've grown 30 don't, don't try to cover their shame. <laughs> I had the time somehow in the like, the speedy scramble I did to also get here before Anna and Kristoff. These woods have changed. To go lumberjack and hem down a tree and count the rings. Just don't have Hans in this episode and it'll all be fine. Mm -hmm. 
just have Adam Kristoff wake up from the thaw and be like, oh, Jesus, fuck, what's the half the urn? It's gone. We got to get the urn. How are we going to get the urn? Oh, I heard about the wishing star. Blackbeard has it. Okay, got to go to Blackbeard. Blackbeard goes, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I told you you can have it. Give me money. Oh, you gave me money. I don't have it. In the ocean, you go. It makes as much sense without Hans. It makes more sense without Hans. It does make more sense without Hans. Just don't yeah. have him. Yeah. We have no explanation about why Hans and his brothers are here. But we do have an explanation from Adam Horowitz of why did the frost happen? So he says that Ingrid used all her magic powers to start the spell of Shattered Sight in Storybrooke, which is why when she cast that spell, Arendelle began defrosting after so many years because she had no lingering magic elsewhere. That actually makes sense. That's that one thing that makes sense in this mess. Yeah. So right. that makes sense. That but makes then sense. like the brothers not aging and, and Hans even just being here is stupid. What it is, is it's basically the part in Emperor's New Groove where they're at the climax of the movie. Oh. And Cusco's like, wait, how did you beat us here? And Yzma's like, I don't know. And looks at Krunk and Krunk pulls down a map looking at the bonkers ass route they'd have taken. He's like, I don't, by all accounts, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. That's what this scene is, except without <laughs> the self-awareness of Emperor's New Groove to be like, yeah, no, it actually makes no goddamn sense that we were able to beat you here. But anyway, it's the climax of the movie, so let's fucking go. <laughs> Whatever, we gotta move on. We gotta move on. The news of the 30 years passing horrifies Anna, who has only thoughts for her poor sister being trapped in an urn for three decades. Panicked at what her aunt has planned next, Anna is helpless as Hans shuts the lid of the trunk, which is subsequently thrown overboard. In present-day storybook, Elsa remains hopeful until the necklace abruptly stops glowing. She begins to sob at this horrific blow, even as the storm clouds gather as Shattered Sight is preparing to cast over the town. In the past, Kristoff is working his rope-bound hands free against a nail in the trunk as Anna calls for help. Just as the water reaches their neck, Kristoff is free. He unties Anna, who begins to recite her vows as she wishes to marry Kristoff before they drown. He is not willing to give up and tries to comfort her. These two really sold this scene for me and mm -hmm. the heartbreak and just the panic and the real danger they were in. It broke my little heart. Like, the sap in me definitely felt it oh, and really too. felt for them. In the present, Elsa clings to the necklace and apologizes to her sister for being unable to locate her but vows to keep the faith even as she wishes for her sister to be with her right here and now. The necklace resumes glowing, causing Emma and Elsa to feel magic stir in the air. I legit really liked this twist of the snowflake necklace being the wishing star. Also, Elsa confirmed pure part, Elsa unlike her parents. Elsa <laughs> has never done anything wrong ever in her life. I know this and I love her. <laughs> Kristoff and Anna cling to each other, declaring their love for one another as the water begins to bubble and magic whirls them away. The same magic that blasts Emma and Elsa to the sand as the ocean before them spits out a trunk, toppling over to reveal Anna and Kristoff. Aw, oh, dude, this was genuinely a fun surprise. I had no idea how they were going to meet up, and this was super sweet. I don't mind admitting that I was kind of emotional. Agree. It made me feel very triumphant and, and happy for all of them. I thought the twist worked really well and felt like a, a satisfying little payoff to the Anna is missing mystery of the season. I liked it. The sisters are reunited, realizing that Anna's necklace was the wishing star all along. As the sisters hug for the first time in 30 years, a bottle pops up onto the surface of the water with a note still safely rolled up inside. At Granny's diner, Belle announces that Anna is on her way. Gold is able to slip Belle out of the diner under the pretense of getting her to safety while the fairies work diligently in preparation for Anna's arrival. Killian knows that this is his cue to act. Man, fuck you, Gold. This really made me angry. Everyone, especially your wife, has been working so hard to save everyone. And then you just swoop in here and fuck everything up when it was almost about to be okay. I mean, I gotta be honest, at this point in the show, I'm kind of just the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia meme anytime he shows up. I'm just like, I've had enough of this guy. <laughs> I've had it up to here with this guy. No, you're thinking Dayman. <laughs> I'm thinking Dayman. I'm, I'm thinking the meme. This fucking guy. This fucking guy. <laughs> I'm thinking the meme where there's the picture and they're pointing at it and they've come, had enough of this guy. Okay. You're thinking Dayman where Charlie Day <laughs> just keeps screaming, I've had enough to hear. Which also a mood, but different episode. As Anna and Kristoff are scurried through Main Street, the sisters remark what funny-looking world they are in. 
Back at Granny's, we got some serious Jurassic Park kitchen vibes as Raptor Killian takes out the fairies with the magic hat. Although I wish a raptor would eat the blue fairy. Well, you got half that wish because she was eaten just by a magic hat instead. Good. And stay there. I am so ready for this season to be over so I don't have to hear about the dumb magic hat anymore. I've also had it up to here with the magic hat. (laughs) It's just a picture of the magic hat. It's just a picture of the magic hat and me going, I've had enough enough of this guy. guy. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny looking back on the season because like I remembered Ingrid so well and on and Elsa stuff. And then like I completely forgot about most of the magic hat nonsense because Ingrid is rememberable because she's such a good villain. And the magic hat is a magic hat. It's so dumb. Emma, Elsa, Anna, and Kristoff arrive just after the attack to an empty but totally chaotic scene. They believe it was the Snow Queen who stopped the fairies and dash off to prepare for the worst. The camera pans down to Killian, huddling behind the counter. Gold escorts Belle to the pawn shop, stating he is going to seal her in the back room with a protection spell as he will be immune to the spell, but she will not. He promises to return for her very soon. So there's a flub in this scene wherein we see Gold with a dogger and then just without it. Oh, I didn't good. catch that, but oh no. I, I caught it and then I was just like, oh, you know, whatever. And then like, I actually looked on the wiki and it did say like, that was a goof. Oops. As soon as Belle is inside, Killian approaches with the hat box, saying that Belle well and truly loves Rumpel, but he has to choose between her love and ultimate power. Gold does not believe he has to choose because he's a tremendous piece of shit <laughs> as he takes the box from the pirate. Hook demands to be released, but Gold is not done with him just yet, telling Killian to go and enjoy his last day. Meanwhile, Emma arrives at the sheriff's station, where her parents are waiting with baby Neil. David has a brief but funny reunion with Kristoff and Anna before Snow reveals their plan, locking herself and David up in separate cells to weather out the spell while Emma works out a way to defeat Ingrid. Which is really overlooking the delight that was Kristoff and Charming hugging and congratulating each other on getting haircuts, and Anna throwing shade about Shepard David's wig, and then feeling bad, which is like, it's okay, Anna, we all hated that wig. (laughs) (laughs) The David and Kristoff reunion was so cute, and I also loved Anna throwing shade at Shepard's David hair. It was a very fun scene and some much-needed humor in a relatively heavy episode. Emma is reluctant, but ultimately listens to her parents. Through tearful eyes, Mary Margaret relinquishes her infant son to Emma's care, leaving her daughter with words of encouragement in order to triumph over the Snow Queen. This scene killed me. It was really emotional. Mm -hmm. Just Charmian Snow's pure faith in Emma and love for Emma and each other, and knowing that baby Neil will be safe with Emma, it was overall just very well done. It pulled my heartstrings. Killian arrives to see Emma before he ties himself to the docks and the lovers share a tearful goodbye kiss. At the mayoral office, Regina apologizes to Henry for allowing herself to get distracted from Operation Mongoose, but Henry insists that they will find the author. She moves on to state Henry will be locked in the office, and everyone else be locked out for his protection. Henry is not scared, because he has faith in Emma and Elsa. As his mother embraces him, Regina wishes she were as brave as her son. And I'm sure Regina packed plenty of snacks in his backpack some little juice boxes and string cheese and some comic books to hang out there with robin hood stupidly arrives to try and talk to regina i don't know into some sort of emotions and action but regina is thankfully focused on getting herself locked into her crypt for the sake of everyone in the town best line is regina telling robin that he needs to be afraid of her and to be honest i couldn't agree more buddy she will murk you yes i was super proud of regina in this scene both with Henry and with Robin and just her self-awareness. It's wild to think about how far she's come and how much she's grown. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, good job, Regina. I honestly feel like Jane Espenson was like, oh my God, <laughs> like <laughs> I need to fix this. Like, <laughs> what have you guys been doing to Robin Hood for fuck's sake? Yeah. Why have you turned him into this, this? Whatever this is. Yeah, whatever this is. Tom Ellis Robin Hood was a Jane Espenson episode, wasn't it? Oh, maybe. So she was like, my sweet baby boy, what have you done to him? What have you done to my son? I come back, he's a different actor. Because it was um, a big um, Rumbell episode. Rumbell episode and she's... Typically, those are hers. 
yeah and like seasons one and two they've been yeah in the beginning the better ones the better ones (laughs) oh wait never mind that was Lacey, and that was not a jane espenson episode was actually a kitsuitz episode also just props to regina for realizing that she's probably the biggest ticking time bomb in this town if everyone's gonna like go insane and be like no exactly (laughs) one of the reasons i'm so proud of her it's so much self-awareness from regina Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is like, wow, self-awareness. Like, she's scared of know what, her. what's going to go. Yeah, yeah how, how what she's going to do. The last shots are of our main cast in their respective hiding places as Ingrid showers the town in the spell of Shattered Sight. As the spell settles over David and Mary Margaret, their clasp hands break apart as they step away from one another, their loving gaze turning cold as ice. And then the episode's done. Uh, that last shot ending this episode on snow white's eye turning cold was perfect she was the perfect character to show this change in it was such the right choice to deliver an emotional gut punch to the audience yeah chef's kiss to mario because he really set up that last shot with them like desperately looking into each other with nothing but love and respect and adoration their hands holding each other through the bars in their respective cells and then just it's all gone within mm-hmm. like a minute. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, it was a great it's ending to scene. go down. Great ending scene. Yeah. So, yeah, my good dudes, even though I had to suffer fairies, dime store, Blackbeard, Robin Hood, and stupid Frozen disrespect, this episode otherwise was pretty baller. Like, I was on a legit roller coaster of emotions. I was really hanging on to the suspense, mostly in the quest to find Anna. Because I truly had no idea how that was going to unfold. I was like, but isn't she like way in the past? You know, so like I didn't understand. Their emotional reunion was really palpable. So like I was so happy for them. Like I was like, oh, they're sisters. They're reunited. I'm really sad for Killian. And I kind of wish he told Emma. But I was like, I don't think he can tell. I don't think he can tell. Okay. Yeah. The heart control stuff. No one's been like allowed to say anything about it. I think it was even. That's that's pretty consistent. Something said to Aurora. I think it was Aurora that it was said to and like the best thing about it. You can't tell anyone or something about Mm -hmm. that. Maybe Cora said that. I think to her. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure he's going to try to do something heroic as, as best he can. Well, I mean. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if he tried. The hat as a device is stupid, but again, I'm here for, like, the magic void of oblivion, so I just wish they were a little more clever with that. Like, some things just don't transfer neatly to live action from a cartoon, and a magic wizard hat is just kind of one of them. I think overall, this was a really emotional episode. It was a really strong buildup to the final two episodes of this arc, and I thought just the overall suspense of this episode was just killer. I legit was worried about baby Neil. Like I initially wrote before it even happened, but what about baby Neil? And then Jane covered me because she knew that like details like this matter. Cause I'm like, Oh my God. Like, is she going to go feral on her son? Like hamster mom, like just, you know, eat the baby, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what the hell's going to happen. Snow tearfully entrusting Emma with baby Neil really got me. It really made me the clamped. Especially contrasting it with the scene from a couple episodes before where Snow's trust, you know, had faltered for that moment when Emma was supposed to watch baby Neil and then her magic made the milk go boiling. Mm -hmm. Um, So like this moment in comparison, it was just it was very, very emotional and well acted all around and, and well directed, well written. I think everything about the spell of Shattered Sight in this episode was very well done and was some of the better writing in a while on the show i think yeah my favorite thing in this whole episode was honestly just pure Kristoff and david reunion they were very sweet <laughs> i just was like oh these boys it was definitely a better episode than we've had in a hot minute but i also got mad at my thing that i continue to get mad at which is Don't make a season about Frozen if you're not going to actually know your lore at all where Frozen is concerned. And it's not like I'm even harping on subtle, blink and you miss it, you have to watch the DVD a thousand times and have read the novels, comics, etc. Things to have caught it. Every miss they've had has been a basic common knowledge thing that someone who saw the film even once would know. And that continues to frustrate me. I'm begging the writers to just take one evening out of their schedules and learn their own source material. I think it wouldn't have felt like as big of a deal if they had departed more Mm -hmm. from the source material Mm -hmm. like they do for Snow, like they do for Belle. 
But because they tried so hard to recreate so many parts and outfits and scenes and characters from Frozen, that the places where it does deviate stand out more and feel wrong where changes in snow stories and bell stories we just accept exactly because because with snow at points snow doesn't even necessarily feel like this is disney snow white it feels like we're just pulling from the snow white fairy tale as a whole Mm -hmm. whereas frozen like they're like it's frozen it's straight up it's just frozen they're wearing the outfits you can go to disneyland and meet them in and like Mm-hmm. It's what's on the tin. We're going to give you exactly frozen because what the people want is frozen. And while I like it better when they do things like you mentioned, like with Snow and like Belle, where they were like, okay, but we're going to do something new with it. While I do like that better, if you're going to really just hammer in, no, we're giving you just straight up frozen, then you need to actually give people frozen. You need to know your facts, you need to know your basic lore and plot points. If you're selling Frozen, people that have actually seen Frozen will go, that's wrong when you mess up. And I do like the one big deviation that they did do, which is bringing in the lore of the fairy tale, the Snow Queen, and bringing in Ingrid into it. I think that part was done well, and they've worked that in pretty decently. But when it comes to the world of Anna and Elsa, it being so close to the source material, when it deviates... It feels like a mistake where it wouldn't have if they have just been a little braver yeah. where they took Elsa and Anna and gone a little bit outside that mold, right? That the movie set out for Otherwise, us. it just reads as either lazy or ignorant. Right. And neither one's a good look. But anyway, um, I guess we should talk about costumes. We got some new storybook looks for a handful of characters. I think Belle had a nice new look. Yeah, Belle had a cute little look. Mm-hmm. I know we've seen them before, but we've never talked about them. So I'll say that I think the uniforms worn by Hans and his mean big brothers look really nice. I think there's some really nice construction I, on those costumes. I think you costumes. did mention them when we, we first met them in the ice cave. Oh, did I? I just think they look very sharp. They are sharp. I think they weren't being called out a second time. They're functional. And I like the little like gradient of gray design. They have they just have. enough style to be like, oh, a little pop without being like, this is not something that is also practical. Yeah, but I think right. that this is something right. that, like, princes going to war in the cold would wear. Yeah. That's disgust. I don't know if Blackbeard's costume was new, but it sure was bad. <laughs> it was definitely not new. It was just in a new light. And it's just compare it with how bad. How yeah. sharp and how good all of Killian's pirate costumes have been. How amazing Mila's pirate costume was. And then you got Blackbeard. <laughs> You look at even just that scene, though, like taking that out, like, like he's standing next to Anna and like they did such like beautiful embroidery and detail work. And like the seams are so clean, like the mitering on the goddamn seam binding is chef kiss beautiful. And then there's just this rumpled ass costume (laughs) in a bag that you You got the day after Halloween sale. And it's just like also just like he's so blasé. He reminds me of. God, what is his name? The lead tall guy from Community. Joel. Oh, Joel Hale. Joel Joel Hale. Joel McHale. Like, Joel, Joel McHale? McHale. That's right. Joel McHale. He reminds me of like Joel McHale in a scene in a Halloween party in an episode of Community. Like that he, he just sh- genuinely doesn't want to be there. And he does not want to yeah, be there. That he does not okay. want to be there. I can just... see that. I can see that. Yeah. I like, know. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting that read. Well, Rachel, why don't you tell us about an actor who does clearly want to be there and does impress us? It's time to play Who's That Guest Star. We have got Michael Foster as Kristoff, best known for his role as Nathaniel Plimpton III in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Scott Michael Foster has also been seen in titles such as You, Chasing Life, Zero Hour, Californication, and Greek. I loved him in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend so much. His character grew from one that I didn't like very much to one of my favorite on the show. He also sings my second favorite song on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because I Go to the Zoo is just perfection. (laughs) Oh gosh, my segment now, isn't it? I got distracted thinking about my favorite song about going to the zoo. 
you, you you usually have some like weird little let's fall down the jigsaw razor pit that is <laughs> once upon a timeline and find the hypothermic needle. Oh God! <laughs> oh, that's my uh, I guess my spooky Halloween announcement. Ooh, for once upon it's a October. Timeline. Thank you, thank you, Lynn. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I, did your, I did your weird corny intro for you and made it way more horrible than it usually is. <laughs> <laughs> all right so the flashbacks in this episode seemingly take place shortly after those seen in season four episode eight smash the mirror part two but by taking place shortly they actually take place 30 years later but to the citizens of arendelle it feels like no time at all because they're frozen but if we were to place these flashbacks in the enchanted forest timeline then Anna and Kristoff unfreezing and traveling to the Enchanted Forest takes place after the scene in Season 3, Episode 17, The Jolly Roger, when Ariel and Eric are finally reunited. And this scene with Anna and Kristoff in the trunk was actually the most recent scene we have seen in the Enchanted Forest, as it is actually taking place simultaneously with the present-day Storybrooke timeline. And that's it for me. All right, rants and raves time. So we, Elisa and I, literally just got back from doing Halloween events in Florida. If it's something you can get to, Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party is fantastic, and I can't recommend it enough. And what little we got to do of Halloween Horror Nights Orlando was also great until the weather had other plans and flooded us out. But if that's something you are in any position to get to, both are fantastic, even if I was literally finishing hand sewing my costume on the plane and in the hotel. As far as things people who can't get to Orlando can easily get their hands on, Camp Damascus is a fantastic new horror novel by notorious queer author Chuck Tingle that I can't recommend enough. If you are at all horror-adverse, you might not have a great time because it can get pretty brutal at points, but it's fantastic and very queer, and I am too tired to describe the plot, so I'm just copying the dust jacket blurb and I'm going to read it to you now and you have to deal with that. <laughs> From beloved internet icon Chuck Tingle, Camp Damascus is a searing and earnest horror debut about the demons the queer community faces in America, the price of keeping secrets, and finding the courage to burn it all down. Welcome to Neverton, Montana, home to a God-fearing community with a heart of gold. Nestled high up in the mountains is Camp Damascus, the self-proclaimed most effective gay conversion camp in the country. Here, a life free from sin awaits, but the secret behind that success is anything but holy, and they'll scare you straight to hell. So that yeah, terrifying. I loved it. It is, but it's so good. <laughs> it's, like rewarding? Yes, it is terrifying. So I don't think anyone who isn't into horror should read it. Like, I mm -hmm. honestly think it would give both of you nightmares. Yes, um, I'm already scared of it. It's really good. And I feel like people look at it and go, Chuck Tingle wrote it. <laughs> I'm not reading that because he's the guy who's written all the jokey porn books because that's his main bread and butter. Yeah, you got to pay the bill somehow. Because all his books are like pounded in the butt by the joy I get from pumpkin spice latte season, <laughs> that type of thing. Like, I don't know if you know Chuck Tingle, but that's no. what all his books are. But yeah, this is his like debut horror novel. It's great. And if people actually love horror, then it's a good spooky season read. Yay. I think you two would hate it, but I loved it. <laughs> I'm glad you loved I'm it. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. That's how a lot of things I love go. It's my wife going, I'm glad you love it. And me going, I love the joy that you get from things that scare me. <laughs> I don't think I like the way that was phrased, <laughs> but okay. okay. I love, even, even if. It even makes if me sound like a really bad person when you phrase <laughs> it that way. Even if things scare me or maybe they're not for me. I love when you love things. Okay. It makes me happy nicer. to see you enjoy things. That's nicer. Thank you makes me very happy to see you love things for my rave i want to recommend fiona and cake the finale of the show just aired and it was wonderful it had so much heart and i'm hesitant to say too much because it was very surprising and it's just it's a great 10 episode ride and it's a great journey following some of those like loose adventure time threads from the finale of adventure time i can't recommend it enough i thought it was wonderful i thought it was really well done I have heard that it is quite good. 
but unfortunately I've only seen maybe five episodes of Adventure Time. I think you would need to watch all of Adventure Time to appreciate Fiona and Cake. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. It's dealing with the aftermath of some pretty significant lore from over the course of the entire show. Right. But if you have seen Adventure Time and if you've seen it to the end, I definitely recommend Fiona and Cake. But I think to fully appreciate it, you would need to watch all of Adventure Time. You've never done Adventure Time. I definitely recommend Adventure Time. Long. It's long. It is very long, but a really amazing ride. 283 episodes. Yep. It's a long ride. They're short. Episodes are short, though. Episodes are about 12 minutes. minutes. Yeah, it's like Steven Universe, the 10 minutes per episode. Like, I've multiple times gotten through the entirety of Adventure Time doing a single sewing project. For scale, I sew very fast. Yeah. All right. What about you, Chell? Well, I now have my own custom built droid son. He's an R2 unit. He's going to be pastel all over eventually. Uh, I just have to, you know, tell my brother that he's going to help me custom paint it. But right now he has some nice shiny pink panels on him that I bought. My childhood bestie and I celebrated 34 years of friendship, getting matching tattoos and spending the day at Disneyland adulting which means adult drinks, shopping, and going on only four rides. It's the fucking best. It's how to do Disneyland the right way. As far as recommendations, as usual, I'm about a thousand light years late to a party and only just now got into Arcane, the Netflix series based on League of Legends. Okay, so we all know how I conflate titles and people of things I only have the most basic periphery knowledge about, right? Right? Right. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, totally... I was not I was not chiming in because I was trying to be nice. No, 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 please. That is a chime back. Yes. So I totally conflated League of Legends with Fatal Fury and mostly Guilty Gear. I knew it was a game a bunch of my friends cosplayed from, but I also remembered another game that turned into an animated show. But that was Vox Machina. Not a video game, of course. But look, you, you know, you you two are licensed to forever laugh at me because <laughs> I am now a hopeless simp for Victor of Zahn, my sweet twink husband, Florbo. I love him as my sweet Vitya, and I love him as the rageaholic machine herald. He is my new meow meow right next to Palamides, and they will get along very well. <laughs> that took you a while, Chell, because I wrecked Arcane <laughs> as my rave in season two, episode 15, you the queen <laughs> is dead. Yeah, you did. <laughs> God damn it. Why didn't I not listen to you then? I'm usually good following up on your recommendations, I do have to say. I don't know. We also wrecked it during Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, my dude. We did because we had rewatched it while we were watching Once Upon a Time in Wonderland and re-wrecked it because we were working on our cosplay. All right. You know what? <laughs> I've been in the Lock Tomb brain rot for the last year and a half. Also, you're doing. Uh, which is a thank you that is said affectionately. So I'm going to use that as my excuse and stick to it. I, I can't believe that you remembered what you recommended and when. Like, I can't remember what I ate for breakfast today. To pull which episode it was, I did search Arcane in our Google Drive uh, um, where we write our notes. So yeah, I was going to say, it, it's not so hard when everything's fully documented. <laughs> this, this is true. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch... Storybrooke is in a state of chaos with all the residents under the Snow Queen spell of Shattered Sight at each other's throat, a.k.a. Here Comes the Purge. Emma and Elsa race against the clock to take down the Snow Queen and her curse. Meanwhile, Gold gathers Belle and Henry as he prepares to leave town forever, and Will Scarlet looks to square his tab with Hook. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. The moral of this episode is Know Your Lore! Visit us at Spotify for Podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Talk fairy tales with us on Instagram at Once Upon Rewatch. On Tumblr at Once Upon a Rewatch.tumblr.com. The artwork for a podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License. 
And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Know your lore. Know your lore. Morph. 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 Morph's idiot younger brother who didn't do so well. And this is Lorf. We don't talk about him. <laughs> Isn't uh, Data's evil twin lore? Yeah. Yes, it is. Data's evil twin is lore. So we, we will know him, but we will not know Morph. Morph's idiot brother. <laughs> lore, in fact, has one of my favorite lines in Next Generation. Which one? Which is when he looks at Wesley and goes, Are you ready to meet God, little man? Who says that? Lore! To who? To Wesley! Poor Wesley. (laughs) And like, I adore Wesley with my entire heart. I still laughed so hard I gave myself hiccups. (laughs) Lore's a piece of shit, but we also kind of stand Lore in this house. (laughs) 